Dr. Craig, you've been busy as usual, despite uh, these unusual times. You've managed to get yourself out there uh, without actually getting into space. <laughs> yes. space uh, it, in a sense, you know, I, people ask me all the time, Bill, what, what you, Kevin, what do you think Dr. Crick thinks about all this stuff, the, the pandemic, the riots and the things? I, say, I don't want to speak for him, but after having worked with him for several years, I think I know what he'll say. He'll say, hey, hang in there. And um, God's got things under control. We need to rely on him. Am I right about that? Yes, certainly. And I do think, too, that the current unrest um, underlines the importance of the ethics of Jesus in terms of how we treat others, that we treat others with respect. Um, we adopt an attitude of non-retaliation for personal offense, of submission to governmental authority and love of one's enemies. And so I think as never before, we need the ethics of the Sermon on the Mount uh, to guide us during these very troubled times in American society. In the meantime, what have you had going on behind the scenes? Uh, I guess we could start with the publication of a new book. Yes, that's right. It's funny, Kevin, um, given my sort of academic work in my home office from which we're broadcasting today, um, Jan teases me that I don't even know that I'm being sequestered <laughs> because I am just pursuing my projects as normal. She ventures out to the grocery store now and again, but I pretty much stay in my study and uh, research and write, and as a result, it's been extremely productive. The most recent book that's come uh, to publication is this one, this stunning cover uh, by Salvador Dali, a painting of the crucifixion of Jesus uh, from an overhead view. It's really a, a beautiful cover. And this is a book which examines the doctrine of the atonement biblically, historically, and philosophically. And I think in some ways, Kevin, this may well be the most important book theologically that I've ever written because the atonement is right at the heart of Christianity. And this offers a robust defense of the classic Reformation doctrine of substitutionary atonement. And the fact that you also kind of tied some philosophical strings together for the atonement as well, because uh, doctrinally, um, uh, there's a lot of work been done on the atonement, but uh, to, to also bring about some of the philosophical considerations of the atonement, I think is what makes this book stand apart. That's what motivated me, I, honestly, to do the book. For years, I have longed for some Christian philosopher to step up to the plate and give a robust defense of a Reformation theory of the atonement, and nobody would do it. The current theories of the atonement on offer by most Christian philosophers are unbiblical and therefore inadequate. And I finally realized that I was just going to have to do this myself. And the rewards of this study were enormously rich in terms of the insights that it provided into this vital 
central doctrine of our faith. What about the book on Adam and Eve? How are we progressing on that? That's done. I delivered it on July 15th to uh, Erdman's publishing company in Grand Rapids, and they are already at work on it. Uh, it will be entitled In Quest of the Historical Adam. The title piggybacks on Albert Schweitzer's famous book, The Quest of the Historical Jesus. And I'm proposing a similar quest, but of the historical Adam. And the book will begin um, its editorial production on July 30th. That's when the committee will set a production schedule as to when uh, each of the successive stages needs to be completed with a final date for publication. So I'm eagerly awaiting that news. Bill, um, I'm anxious to get to all of these interviews that you've been doing uh, in social media, but I, I want to mention as well that you started work on a philosophical systematic theology. Yeah, that is a project, Kevin, that Jan has been encouraging me to do for years. Um, she has wanted me to summarize my life's work in the form of a systematic theology. And many people who have followed our Defenders lectures have similarly encouraged me. And so I decided a few years ago that this is a project that I would take up. And now with the Adam book, uh, Safe at the Publishing House, I have started my work on a systematic philosophical theology. Now, for our viewers who aren't familiar with what this is, let me say a bit about it. A systematic theology is um, a discussion of God and all other things in relationship to God. So, for example, if you talk about man, you will look at him from a theological perspective, not from a secular perspective that you would find in secular anthropology or sociology. So it's a discussion of the being and nature of God and everything else in relation to God. And what makes it systematic is four properties, I think. First, it will be organized or structured usually along the lines of certain major themes like doctrine of God, doctrine of creation, doctrine of Christ, and so forth. Secondly, it will draw upon authoritative scripture as well as all other relevant sources of knowledge. Thirdly, it will aim at completeness. It will try to sketch the broad outlines, at least, of a Christian world view. And then fourthly, it will offer and defend, so far as one is capable, a logically coherent formulation of its worldview. And so that what that's what goes into making this theology systematic. It's organized along certain themes. It draws upon authoritative scripture as well as other relevant sources of knowledge. It aims at completeness, at a worldview, and then finally it offers and defends a logically coherent formulation of its worldview. And I believe that 
vital to the project of writing a systematic theology is the use of philosophy. In every area it treats, systematic theology raises profound philosophical questions about the nature of God, the uh, nature of the soul, the foundation of moral values, the end of the world, uh, and so forth. And so these philosophical issues need to be addressed. And your average systematic theologian isn't trained to address these sorts of questions. And so in contemporary systematic theology, these kinds of philosophical issues simply are not addressed well. And so one of the emphases of my treatment will be not to write simply a systematic theology, but a systematic philosophical theology in which these profound philosophical questions will take center stage. So that's the project. It's going to take several years to complete, uh, but I've already begun. And in fact, Kevin, I've actually written the first draft of my introduction to this systematic philosophical theology. Well, it's going to be a big book, <laughs> you know, and so you're off and running on that. Yes, I am. I think, Bill, you've been having a great time with all these interviews and doing all these Skype calls and um, uh, appearing. You're, you're all over YouTube, um, all over Facebook and social media with some of the uh, uh, people who have been interviewing you lately. You yes. Uh, apparently scheduled more than usual. Talk about some of those. Yes. Well, having had to cancel my personal speaking engagements, I have been taking these social media events right and left. And the irony, Kevin, is as a result, we've been able to touch thousands and thousands of more lives than through my personal travel and speaking would have done. So it's been extremely fruitful in terms of the outreach of the ministry. Outstanding. Now, um, a, a couple of those in, in involve some dialogues that mm. really have people talking, and those would be the Graham Oppie uh, dialogue and the Alex Malpas uh, dialogues. Let's talk about right. That. This is the social media equivalent of a university debate that I would normally do in person. So on uh, Cameron Bertuzzi's uh, very fine podcast, Capturing Christianity, I dialogued with Alex Malpas, a secular philosopher, on his objections to the Kalam cosmological argument. And then with Graham Oppie, since he and I had been around the horn so many times already in print on the Kalam argument, we decided to take a fresh topic. And so we chose the question of the applicability of mathematics to the physical world. I've just completed uh, an article on Eugene Wigner's famous essay, The Unreasonable Effectiveness of Mathematics in the Physical Sciences. And since Graham is a philosopher of mathematics, it seemed a wonderful opportunity to see how this argument for the existence of God on the basis of the applicability of mathematics in physics would hold up 
under criticism. So we had a really nice dialogue on uh, Wigner's argument and its implications for God's existence. What does Graham uh, Oppie think of, of Wigner's work? I mean, uh, does he agree with the, the conclusions that you drew from it? Obviously, no, no, that's right. He um, wants to say that the applicability of mathematics in the physical sciences is not unexpected, as Wigner claimed. Wigner says that the applicability of mathematics to the physical phenomena is, in his words, a miracle which we neither understand nor deserve. And Abi says, no, it's not really unexpected. Why? Because he thinks the mathematical laws of nature are logically necessary. There is no other possible world described by a different set of mathematical natural laws. So he takes a very radical line here. The, the, I don't know any physicist uh, who would think that the laws of nature are logically necessary and that there are no other possible worlds described by different mathematical laws. It seems very obvious that we could have lived in a universe characterized by Newtonian physics, for example, instead of relativistic physics. Uh, but Graham's position is that um, these laws of nature are mathematically necessary, and therefore the applicability of mathematics to the physical phenomena is to be expected. It's a rich dialogue, and I encourage people to, uh, to go through it several times. And, it, you know, it, it'll serve as an introductory as well to, to the topic. Yes, let me say one other thing for viewers who are interested in this. I think Cameron was a bit frustrated by the depth of the dialogue. It wasn't easy for lay people to understand. So he has since then had on another person, David Hutchings from the UK, who is a wonderful popularizer of modern science. And Hutchings has uh, developed what one might call a grade school version of Wigner's argument. Uh, he's run it past me, and I was so impressed at how accessible and simple David was able to make these arguments. So if people would like to watch that first, they might find that a great introduction then to the more in-depth dialogue with Professor Oppie. Alex Malpas. Let's talk about that. Yes, he contacted me via Facebook and said that he'd been collaborating with Wes Morriston, uh, whom I've debated in the past and uh, exchanged uh, discussions in philosophical journals with, and he wanted to do a dialogue on their objections to the Kalam cosmological argument. And this seemed to me to be a good idea. And so we have... Um, a dialogue on whether or not anyone who claims that the past cannot be an actually infinite regress of events must also be committed to the position that the future 
cannot be an endless, infinite progress, I should say, of events. Um, and I argue that it's quite possible to say that you cannot have an actually infinite regress of events, but that you can have a potentially infinite progress of events. And Alex disagrees with that, uh, and I think that uh, he commits a couple of logical fallacies uh, in his objection to my view, and so this was all discussed in our dialogue. Bill, we're going to do a podcast on the exchange that you had with Alex O'Connor, Cosmic Skeptic. So we'll put that mm -hmm. off because we want to talk about that some more. And sure. But in the meantime, uh, there have been several others, uh, Bill, that you've done. A, you did a Peaceful Science podcast with uh, Josh Swamidas as well. Yeah, that has aroused some interest, too. There's um, an atheist podcaster who I think misunderstood me. Uh, and justifiably so, since the remarks were taken out of context. Uh, what I was trying to explain was why the question of the historicity of Adam is theologically significant. And my answer was that Jesus himself, our Lord, seemed to believe in the historical Adam. So if you deny that there was a historical Adam, you have to say that Jesus held false beliefs. And that would be incompatible with his deity, because as a, a divine person, uh, he is omniscient and therefore could not hold false beliefs. And so what this atheist podcaster thought was that I was saying that if you don't believe in the historical Adam, you have to give up belief in the deity of Christ, which would seem extraordinary. What he didn't understand is that in my book on the historical Adam, I go on to answer that objection to the deity of Christ and to show how, in fact, the deity of Christ doesn't stand or fall on the existence of the historical Adam, um, and that it's quite possible and even plausible to believe in the divinity of Jesus, even if there was no historical Adam. Now, of course, I go on in the book to say that all this is rather academic, because I, I do believe in the historical Adam, and I defend his existence uh, and the possibility of his existence scientifically. But my point is, we shouldn't think that if there was no historical Adam, that the Christian faith goes down the drain and that you have to deny the deity of Christ. That's not at all what I think. Yeah. Well, Bill, the, the host of the podcast, really, uh, he commended you for being honest and transparent that this has been a difficult subject matter for you and uh that wow william lane craig struggles too with some some <laughs> of these issues i did appreciate his commending me for my honesty because i think what it showed was that my conclusions were not all just made up in advance and that this was a genuine um this was a genuine struggle to wrestle with the evidence objectively and to come to some conclusions as a result. It wasn't all decided in advance. This was um, a genuine um, wrestling with the issues. Well, Bill, let's talk about, let's see, we've got a new animated video. We want to encourage people to watch that. These are fantastic. The Zhang Meister is at it again with the he latest is. one. 
<laughs> what is oh, the topic of uh, the newest uh, animated? The newest animated video is on Eugene Wigner's argument from the applicability of mathematics. Uh, I think the title of the video is just called God and Mathematics, to keep it simple. But what it's really about is about Wigner's argument that the applicability of mathematics to the physical world is utterly unexpected and surprising and cries out for some sort of explanation. And I argue uh, in the video that the best explanation is that there is a mathematical mind who has designed the universe on the mathematical blueprint that he had in mind. And therefore, Wigner was literally correct when he said that the applicability of mathematics is a miracle. It is something that is wrought by God in creating this universe. Let's talk about some of the upcoming events that you have scheduled. You've got Defenders going on right now, going through the Doctrine of Man. Right. We have finished out the, or we will finish out the Doctrine of Man next week. And then we're going to pick up on the Doctrine of Salvation and continue to podcast from my home office. Our church, given the pandemic, is not opening up to uh, classes yet. And so we're going to continue doing it from the home office. And I, I actually think these videos that we've been broadcasting are better than the videos that are recorded in the classroom setting. The only disadvantage is that we don't get the class discussion in these home podcasts. Any other scheduled social media? I have a number of interviews coming up. And then also, uh, Aaron Patterson is going to be coming to town. The church is going to allow us to uh, film a couple of uh, short cinematic features on subjects like the freedom of the will and the cosmological argument. His little movie on the meaning of life has been one of the most watched of our videos posted on YouTube. And so we want to continue to work with Aaron in developing uh, yet another medium for getting the word out, and that will be these uh, short films. Bill, we have some great podcast topics that are coming up, and we just want to encourage people to keep coming back because it's really going to get good. So we'll be talking to you soon. Okay, thanks, Kevin.